I have some important things that I would like to say tonight. Brother Jim Edwards, do you believe that I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and I speak on his behalf? Newell Eastland, do you believe that I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and speak on his behalf? Amen. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 22. The state of affairs in Judah was horrible. We could read a large context here, but we're not going to. The state of affairs was horrible. The priests were conspiring to destroy God's people and to feed themselves, and so were the princes. It begins back in verse 23 for the context. You can see in verse 25 there is a conspiracy of her prophets. Her priests are in verse 26. Her princes are in verse 27. It says in verse 28 that her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, divining lies, the people of the land in verse 29, which is, of course is going to happen when you have the leadership all falling apart, have used oppression. And I come to the 30th verse. And the Lord God of heaven said, and I sought for a man right. among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You look at verse 25, there's prophets. Verse 26, there's priests. Verse 27, there's princes. Verse 28, there's prophets again. And verse 29, there's people. And the Lord sought for a man, not a whole group, but a man. He couldn't find one that would stand before him and make up the hedge. You know what a hedge is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be a solid mass of bushes or whatever other vegetation is used to create it and a gap. He sought for a man to stand that gap and he couldn't find one. It's a problem that's been long known in the world. Look at Psalm 12. Psalm 12. Men like the privileges of their office of husband and father... <laughs> But very few men have exercised their office in the way that would please God. I read in Psalm 12, 1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. The psalmist there had the same problem. Help, godly men and faithful men fail. I'm going to let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter three. I was going to say I trust your memories. I do, but let's look at it anyway. Amen. Isaiah three is an entire chapter dedicated to the corruption of a nation by the Lord taking away their men and allowing children and women to oppress them and to rule over them. And I'm going to read the first three verses. The whole chapter deals with this, however. Isaiah 3, 1, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. 
And verse 12 will tell you that women shall rule over them also, because God's judgment on a nation is to take away faithful men. Isaiah 3. Look at Jeremiah chapter 5. Sometimes we turn more often than other times. I would like you to see how the Lord and the Lord's people have looked for faithful men. Jeremiah 5, 1. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. The Lord would pardon Jerusalem for one man that sought the truth and wanted to execute judgment. Turn over to Micah. Follows the book of Jonah, which follows Obadiah. Micah, I want you to see the dearth of good and faithful men, and it ought to provoke all of us. Amen. It ought to encourage all of us to want to be a man like that for the Lord. Micah chapter 7 and verse 2. Micah 7 and verse 2. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. Perished out of the earth, the good man. They're hunting each other, trying to catch each other, trap each other. They're lying in wait for blood, and there is none upright among men, according to the text. Look at Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim every one his own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? Amen. Men like to talk about themselves and how good they are, but a faithful man, truly faithful, not one who says he's faithful, but who is faithful, hard to find. Who can find, according to this text? Now, we can be thankful that in God's government of the world, there have been faithful men. And I want to give you five from the Old Testament that the Lord singles out as being particular and special. And these five ought to provoke us. Amen. These men were such that they by themselves could stand and by their prayers and by their lives deliver a city or a large family or a nation. But the situation was so bad in Israel and Judah that God is going to bring these men up and say, though those men were here, all of them, I still would not spare Judah. Because Judah was so bad. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah 15. And that fact does not make these men any less great. It just points out the terrible sins of that nation and how God had to judge them in order to keep His covenant promises that He made to Moses. Right. If you depart from My commandments, I'm going to judge you. And though He was long-suffering and patient, eventually He reached that place where He did. But we can have some hope that there have been great men in the Lord's congregation because of Jeremiah 15.1. Right. Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, 
Yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Here's two men, Moses and Samuel, that God singled out as great men. We know what Moses did. Moses would intercede for the whole nation. God would say, step back, I'm going to destroy them right now and I'll build a new nation from you. And Moses would intercede for them and save the whole nation. Samuel interceded and saved the whole nation. We sing it in one of our songs about Ebenezer, where he sacrificed a sucking lamb to appease the God of heaven and win a victory over the Philistines. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. Though the Lord has often looked for men, faithful men, and couldn't find them, he did have some, but they were rare. And we know their names. Aren't these household names? Moses and Samuel? We won't read Samson. He may have made it to Hebrews 11 on the other side of the cross of Jesus Christ. But we're going to read about three more right here in Ezekiel 14, verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Notice that point is implying that ordinarily these men were able to save others by their righteousness. Daniel's prayer saved a nation. Noah saved his whole family. Job saved saved his whole family. But in this case, though they were there, they would only save themselves by their righteousness and their faithfulness. Now that's in the Old Testament. Let's come over to the New Testament church and see that the apostle Paul speaks of some men as highly. Look at Romans chapter 16. There's 16 chapters in the book of Romans. And I doubt if you do much pleasure reading in Romans 16. There's a whole lot of names there. But I want you to notice something about that chapter. It's listing a lot of names of men and some of women who were faithful. And it was put as a chapter of the epistle to the Romans for New Testament churches to see and to know, even 2,000 years later, we're still going to read about some faithful men that helped the Apostle Paul. Right. Romans 16. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because we've got a string of names here. It probably numbers about 40. But look at verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. What did the Apostle do with them from time to time? They were of the same trade made tents. But they also could convert men, couldn't they? And, and present Apollos and present the gospel in a very efficient and wise way to a mighty man like Apollos. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Is that high praise? Amen. That is high praise in the New Testament for 2,000 years have read that about Aquila and Priscilla. The Lord taking recognition of faithful men. I started out by showing you how few there are, but there have been a few. And we've read some in the Old Testament. We're seeing some here in Romans 16. Look at verse 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia. 
my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now that's a nice little verse about them. Might have been Paul's cousins. But they were in Christ before Paul was on that road to Damascus. And they were in prison, fellow prisoners, and they were of note among the apostles. That is high praise. And it's in the word of God for our encouragement. Amen. Look at verse 12. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Now, they'd be happy with that, wouldn't they? The first half of that, verse 12. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. But notice the second half. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Right. Now, there's the Apostle Paul handing out commendations for service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Two get labor in the Lord. One gets much labor in the Lord. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There was one man that the Apostle Paul liked the most, who he considered the most faithful, Timothy. Sometimes he doesn't even refer to him by name. It's just assumed that everyone knows who the right-hand man of the Apostle Paul was. Watch this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, he's been talking about Titus here because he's sending Titus to the church to pick up their gift for the uh, saints in Jerusalem. But he says in verse 18, And we have sent with him the brother, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord, and declarations of your ready mind. I want you to notice that 18th verse, we have sent with him, that's with Titus, the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. We started out by looking at the fact that God sought for a man to make up the hedge and to stand in the gap, and he couldn't find one. We saw from several other passages the fact that the faithful man has failed from the earth, and it's often a judgment of God. But then in that Old Testament, we saw Moses, Samuel, Noah, Daniel, and Job being singled out as very faithful men and being recalled hundreds of years later after their death for their faithfulness. And then here in the New Testament, we're reading about men. Space was taking up in our precious small New Testament for the names of men we've never met, but who the Lord Jesus Christ had commended by the Apostle Paul for their service. I hope that provokes every man in this assembly Amen. to want to be a faithful man. Amen. God takes recognition of faithful men. And we can be those faithful men that God would look at and commend and bless and would be the apple of his eye and by their righteousness and by their intercessory prayer and by their labors can help and promote the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Right. And I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand before me in the gap for the land, and I found none. Newell Eastland and Jim Edwards, you have made up the hedge and stood in the gap for this church 
for seven years. And tonight, we all honor you and commend you in Jesus Christ's name. Brother Newell was converted to the truth of the gospel as we understand it in large part 25 years ago or so and came to us in this assembly 20 years ago by way of the old Augusta Church, which Augusta Church no longer stands in the truth of the gospel that it had once committed to its care. Brother Jim Edwards was converted 25 or 30 years ago and came to us by way of Trinity Reformed Baptist Church, which church no longer even exists, certainly having departed from the gospel committed to its care. Newell and Jim and their wives were four of the original nine members of this congregation when it was first formed in June of 1980, 20 years ago. The Lord in his great providence was able to bring together Jim and Newell, who had no contact other than the Lord in his providential workings, bringing them together to find the truth of the gospel with one another and to have a church formed here in Greenville. I first met them 20 years ago in 1980 when Stuart Crane came to Greenville for a weekend visit and I rode with him in his six-seat single-engine Bonanza and met the two of them. They still remember some sub shop we ate at on Poinsett Highway. But I remember that day I found two men my age with the same heart. We loved the Word of God and wanted to follow Jesus Christ. No conditions. Follow him with all our hearts. For four years, from 1980 to 1984, this church had no resident pastor. Ben Mott, the pastor of the Detroit church, would visit once a month, maybe in two months, maybe in three months. It varied. And in between, they would listen to audio tapes. There wasn't even a video ministry. Four years. For four years, these two brothers were faithful pillars in this assembly under those conditions. They housed Ben Mott when he visited. If he wanted to communicate with this church, he communicated through them. They served the Lord faithfully then for four years. They both traveled to Michigan in 1984 to visit me out in Ortonville. And they did. They stayed with Brother Charlie. They brought with them a call from the Greenville Assembly, which numbered about 20-some members at that point, for me to be their pastor. For the eight years that I pastored the congregation from 1984 to 1993, they were outstanding members and great personal friends. Those of you who have known them off and on during that 20-year time period know that they've always sat in the front row or two. They wanted to be right up there giving their full support and their full participation in the gospel. They're still there. They're always there, aren't they? They both have had and still have converted and faithful wives. 
In January of 1993, I had to resign being your pastor. It was a horrible and dark time. I chose and appointed five men to preserve and protect this church and the doctrine that the Lord had committed to our care. They were chosen for very specific qualities. Two of them exceeded the others even then, and only God knows my heart, but I tell you my heart. I prayerfully considered spirituality, the fear of God, the love and knowledge of the scriptures, leadership, teaching ability, zeal, courage, commitment, esteem in the congregation, age, length of membership, and all those things are on my notes from that horrible Thursday night after a seminar seven years ago. They were given a specific charge. I still have that. I keep a lot of paperwork. A specific charge. Maintain this congregation in unity and preserve the doctrine that's been committed to our care. Two things. The women were not even assembled at that meeting. It was all the men after a one of our evangelistic seminars. We quickly saw a great difference. A very great difference. The spirit, the personal heresies and personal agendas that were brought in, the denial of the doctrine they'd been taught quickly manifested three to be very different from these two. Jim and Newell kept their charge during a very difficult period of time, and that was January, February, and March and April of 1993. They opposed the novel heresies that were being introduced because of the lack of a pastor. They maintained the true doctrine of sin and covering sin that we've always believed and always taught. Haven't varied it a whit in 20 years. They chose to separate at a particular point in time and save this congregation and not allow any further compromise. If anyone feels that being negative about anyone is not fit in the church of Jesus Christ, I would like you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. The reason that it's good to point out unfaithful men is to show how great the faithfulness is in the part of those that were faithful and how much we should commend them. All five men were given a public charge, and all of you heard it. You may not remember it, but they were all given that charge, and two maintained it faithfully. You, Brother Jim Edwards, and you, Newell Eastland. In Acts chapter 15, I read this in verse 36. Acts 15, 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Now that makes good sense, doesn't it? Paul and Barnabas had gone and traveled all around the Mediterranean world, had preached the gospel in many cities, started churches, and so here they are talking about going back and visiting those assemblies and seeing how they're doing. Verse 37, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, it doesn't tell us here, but it tells us elsewhere the reason Barnabas 
liked John Mark was because John Mark was his nephew, sister's son. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. He fizzled out. And if you go read the account, halfway through that first missionary journey, he fizzled out and quit and went back home. And Paul said, the man's unfaithful. God wants faithful men. And Paul said, I don't want to take him. We can't trust him. And he's not a good example. And he's not a, he's not a man of faithfulness and a man that will stand in the gap for the land. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. We'll notice who the church of Jesus Christ approved there. It was Paul and Silas. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. I read that to point out, do you, know, do you understand the ramifications of having a book written by Luke called the Acts of the Apostles circulating in the New Testament church that mention an unfaithful man. Now, thanks be to God that unfaithful man repented, was converted, and later became very useful to the Apostle Paul. And for that, we're very thankful. And we'd love to see that ourselves. Nevertheless, there's a great difference between John Mark and the Apostle Paul. And we'd want to keep that in mind. After our congregation separated, they chose a pastor denying much of the doctrine we had learned. They made a flagrant violation of the charge they were given to preserve the doctrine that Jesus Christ had committed to our trust. I remember one of the first series that Brother Jim preached was from Jude. You know what that third verse of Jude says? I know you do, that we are to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And do you remember what contend means? To fight for it, to strive for it, to defend it. And they did. One of those other three, because the congregation didn't suit his fancy, quickly left it and imbibed a whole pile of heresies that are contrary to the doctrine that Jesus Christ committed to us. That's unfaithfulness. And I pointed out to point up the faithfulness of two men. One of, the other, one of the others has told me for years, many years, how he wished he could leave. They've denied the doctrine and the spirit of true Christianity in a lot of their dealings. But enough about that. There was a great... The Lord looks down among men sometimes and brings circumstances their way to find out who is going to follow the Lord. Now, we sang some songs tonight, brethren, that we know are your favorite songs. You two are the only two that are surprised tonight. We love you. Did you wonder about the songs? Who is on the Lord's side? Jim Edwards. Can you imagine him when Levi would have said that? Down there in the uh, camp, or, or Moses would have said that down there in the camp of Israel, what side he would have been on? And Brother Newell? Those songs tonight were theirs. They have good wives who helped me well. Let's talk about the last seven years. They found great opposition in that committee of five men very, very quickly, 
and opposed it and realized the situation was hopeless. And though it was confusing to some parties who still do not fully understand what happened, they separated because they weren't going to compromise and they weren't going to put up with the unfaithfulness and the heresies that were being brought in immediately. And those heresies and the unfaithfulness have been manifested in what's happened in the seven years since. The pastor that was chosen, the doctrines believed, and what's happened to that assembly. But let's talk about the seven years here. This church, one night, in Charlie Doring's warehouse, confirmed the appointment of these two men. Do you all remember that? I commend all of you for doing that. They have led excellent services and preached to us every week for seven years. How many weeks in seven years? Quickly. That's an approximation. 350 is close. 364, but they have done it for seven years. Excellent services and preached every week. They maintained the doctrine committed to us by Jesus Christ without introducing any novel inventions. They gave us plenty and more than enough to challenge our hearts to godliness. They already had vocations that required more hours out of them than most of the men in the assembly before that. We are talking about faithful men. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows that this is to His honor and glory because it's for the sake of His church. Don't you two brothers even think about criticizing me for this. Because of Romans 16, you know I'm covered. Look at all those. You want to read that chapter? I'll read the whole thing if you need more help. Look at those men listed in Romans 16. They spent many hours of their lives serving Jesus Christ in this church. Many hours. I know more than the rest of you the pain, the trouble of trying to find a subject and study a subject that you feel would be appropriate for the church and the Spirit leads you to feel comfortable with. They wrote and bound the church with an articles of faith. You remember how quickly they did that? They didn't want any more mistakes of people saying, well, we can't remember that. So remember, we all signed in articles of faith so that we all knew that we all believed the same thing and that it was in writing. While we don't put a great deal of stock in articles of faith because we've got a great article of faith right here, yet for the time, it was a necessary thing to point out that we need to be sure that we all believe the same thing because they were shocked to find out that others hadn't believed the same thing. I love that love of truth. Do you remember anything in here that there are no men that love the truth or sought for the truth? Well, we've had to. Did you know that our two brothers managed the reception of several new families into this church? It wasn't this big that night in Charlie's warehouse. They've managed that by leading our assembly. They've managed the restoration of an excluded member. They managed exclusions when they were needed biblically. Not sooner, not later. When they were needed. One of the exclusions was a very close and personal friend of Jim Edwards. Did you ever see him hesitating on that? Not on your life. The Lord Jesus Christ knows what I'm talking about. Because men will compromise for friends. 
Men will love friends more than the truth, and if you would think deeply on those words, you would know where a lot of our trouble would came from. And Jesus calls them belly worshipers because they're worshiping their own affections and feelings and personal relationships rather than truth and what is right. They proved the doctrine to this church and then managed communion without a pastor. We did do something novel, but something we all wanted to do, something we all believe because it's a congregational ordinance taught clearly in the New Testament. They carefully taught us that, led us to that, and then we had the Lord's Supper. Amen. They diligently and successfully maintained unity in this church. Do you, how long would a family last without parents for seven year, in seven years? Not very long at all. How many churches could get by without a pastor for seven years? Most churches can't even get through decisions like how big is the cafeteria going to be that we're going to put into our building. They have trouble with things like that. The color of carpet, the type of pews. And this church was kept together for seven years, 364 weeks, by Newell Eastland and Jim Edwards, by the grace of God. Amen. They maintained perfect public agreement among themselves, between themselves. You people never detected any warfare going on between Jim and Newell. That's hard to do also. I commend you. They opposed the calling of several weak and heretical men for the pastor of this church and led you to do so also. Brethren, I want to tell you this. We haven't visited many other churches in recent years, but I have visited many churches in my lifetime. Their overall performance was superior to many ordained pastors. You want to starve real quick? Go pick one of the phone book and go sit for seven years in his assembly. The other pastor couldn't handle it and bailed out on a sinking ship. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, we are told that deacons that do a good job earn to themselves a good degree. Now, they weren't really deacons. They weren't really pastors. They had a job in between the two. That we had to trust them and follow their guidance and leadership and teaching for seven years. But brethren, they have purchased a good degree in the Lord Jesus Christ and great boldness in the faith. Amen. I commend you two men for not giving up. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You, I don't think you need to stand up and turn around, but your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have a church united that loves the truth here. Amen. And we hold the same thing we've always held. The same things we loved 20 years ago when we met. Except the new things the Lord's shown us, for which we're thankful. I read in Galatians 6, 9, And be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you don't faint, and you didn't faint. You could have fainted. You should have fainted. By should have, I mean it would have been 
understandable, but you didn't. You held fast the form of doctrine which was delivered to you. I commend you for putting up with a helpless pastor sitting before you with a lean soul. And I'm sorry for those years where I was of no encouragement and of no help. You maintain faithful wives and converted families as godly men. Take note. Obedient children in both families. Those of age, members of this assembly. Take note. It's one mark that you always want to look at. You've shown a patient and dedicated zeal for the gospel in this church, and I commend you to men. You have fulfilled what I hoped and prayed seven years ago would be fulfilled. You zealously and cheerfully and willingly accepted your recent demotion without complaint or fighting or bitterness or anger or resentment. Do all of you understand that? And zealously, without any bitterness or resentment or envy. I have a glorious privilege. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 tells me I get to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I put you on the spot to start this. And I put you on that spot. And I do that in private, but I can say publicly that I grade them very faithful in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I do it with great joy. There were two. He said he could find none. He found two that made up the hedge and stood in the gap before him for the land, for the church. I commend you to you have purchased to yourselves a great degree in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ and boldness in the faith. And I give an account of great faithfulness to both of you, to him. I want to commend Marlene and Sue. You lost weekends with a relaxed husband. I know, and Sherry knows. You witnessed the difficulty of selecting and studying profitable subjects. You saw the frustration, you saw the pain, the difficulty, the impatience, the care, the worry that goes into preparing something that you know would be profitable and pleasing to the Lord. You sacrificed your weekends, and you witnessed that. You witnessed the difficulty of concern over problems in the assembly when there wasn't any authority. You were faithful to the Lord and to your husbands, and I commend you to for supporting them. You could have made life miserable for them and cost them and cost us. Many women have done that to pastors. Many women have done that to deacons. Many women have done that to godly men by complaining about how much they were losing as a family and would have cost this church. I commend you two women. You even assisted in typing, I believe, unless Jim's really developed something I don't know about. <laughs> and I say that in love, and you know it. I want to commend six children. James Edwards down here at the end. Aaron Edwards right there in the third row. 
Caleb Edwards, Matthew, Wendy, and Orville Eastland. I want to commend you for your lost weekends by not having a relaxed father around the house, but one that was preoccupied with this church. You lost time and you lost attention due to a preoccupied father. And I commend you for being faithful to the Lord. You have always been here. You are still here tonight. You've been faithful to the Lord. You have been faithful to your fathers. And you did not cause them the grief and trouble that so many have that have ruined men's ministries. I know that, and the Lord knows it, and I commend you. I think of the Apostle Paul's words, Jim and Newell, when he finished the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. Well, I'm going to alter that for you. You have fought a good fight. You have kept the faith. You have not finished your course. Because we are praying and trusting the Lord's blessing on you in the future for more great things and more faithfulness, and so is He. But you have fought a good fight, and you have kept the faith. And we pray the Lord's blessing on you, and we thank you. Amen. Now I want to open this up for a few minutes to any other brother that would like to stand and say something in the way of commendation to them. Maybe I shouldn't have been first. I want to give thanks to God for giving us Brother Jim and Brother Newell. Amen. Because he gave them to a congregation and a seven-year period of ministry in place of a regular pastor. I want to commend you, brothers, for your faithful, diligent, and sacrificial service as being a spiritual watchman and a Bible preacher. While carrying on full-time occupations and then preparing ministries for us here. I can relate to that because many years ago, Marie joined me in doing that very thing working full-time and ministering to a church. I remember a little bit about that. I believe that the Lord has accepted your service, and I believe you've given it to Him, and not just to a group of people, but your, your study, your work was unto Him, and because it was given to Him, He blessed it to preserve a congregation. Yes. And that's been the result. I, too, would like to challenge you, because this is not the end. Right. We trust that the Lord will open some other doors. And when he does, I charge you to be a good soldier and continue your good work. May God be praised. Amen. When Jonathan mentioned to me a few nights ago that we're going to have a dedicate tonight to you two, my response was, it is amazing that these two brethren could teach us for that long and stay in unity. We'd not be aware of any difference between them, especially based on the differences in personality. 
They're not the same. They're not alike. But in serving God, they're alike. And that's what counts. I asked part of my family a while ago what, what they thought. And I've, I've got to read their answers because I can't remember that well. But the response had to do with what they preached. They remembered Brother Jim's series on Matthew and appreciated that. They, they appreciated, and, and also a series on Luke. It, <laughs> I'd like to see that finished <laughs> in, in a way, but, but this is better. I, I love a pastor with a fat heart. And, and Brother Newell, your your series on on the, oh, there it is Nehemiah. Your series on Nehemiah. Amen. And and your thoughts on marriage and the, going through the Ephesians and your thoughts on the King James Bible. Yep. And we we've been fed in the absence of a pastor. We appreciate that. Amen. Thank God for it. Jesus said that he that loved the Father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter is not worthy of me. I hope I'm quoting it right. I wasn't able to find the reference. But I am thankful that my father loves God so much that he's willing to, he was willing to sacrifice time spent with us and with my mother for serving him, and that Mr. Edwards was willing to do the same. I know it wasn't always easy for me, and it wasn't always easy for them, but they knew that it was more important because it was all in the service of God. And that is one thing that I am very, very thankful for. I'm not an overly outspoken member of this church, and that's to my shame. But I am very thankful for two men who sacrificed the weekends that have been talked about in the time with their family. Um, as a son of a pastor, I know that you don't see your dad a lot on the weekends. But I'm also more thankful for the fact that you two stood in opposition to friends and other members that you know for a long time. My nature does not like confrontation at all, so when I saw what happened years ago, it horrified me. I couldn't imagine being in your shoes. But I am very thankful that you two men stood your ground and stood for righteousness. And this is what we have to show for it. I agree with everything that Jonathan has said. Uh, I can't imagine anything being as bad. I mean, it's bad enough. For an individual, if he really thinks about the responsibility of being a, a pastor, but being a pastor and having the authority is one thing. But being like in a position like Jim and Newell are in, uh, having that responsibility, but not really having all that authority, uh, must be very difficult. And uh, there's a verse, a uh, couple of verses, in Second, in First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. Just a part of verse twenty-five, but. Uh, it says, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men follow, they follow after. And then verse 25 says, likewise also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand. Uh, seven years ago, uh, I felt very, very good about 
you, Jim, and, and Newell, uh, of those five men that were picked. Uh, I felt confident in you. I was hopeful for the others, but uh, I'm very, like uh, Brother Jonathan said, I'm very thankful for the, the steadfastness that you guys had through all that, uh, being in the position that you were in, and remaining faithful. Amen. Amen. I'd like to thank you too, brothers, for for feeding us all those weeks. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of a single Sunday that I ever said to myself, "Boy, that was a waste of time." Right. right. You fed us. You kept us together, and I want to thank you for that feeding. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, "If you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs," yep. and that's what you did, mm-hmm. and that's why you did it because you love Christ. And we thank you for that, what you fed us all those weeks. I didn't feel lean at all in all those weeks. I thank you. The Bible predicts what happens in a power vacuum, and that's every man does what is right in his own eyes. And I am thankful for Jim and you all governing that in the last seven years and managing that and feeding us in spite of everyone me especially and included wanting to wander away and thinking our our own thoughts or and thinking our own things are vain and, and important and them being able to feed us every single week in spite of everyone having the tendency to do that and also if brother jonathan had told us yesterday that he was thinking about getting sick today and any one of the men in this congregation he had called upon to preach a sermon sunday morning Maybe I need to speak for myself, but I think I'm speaking for most of the men in here. What great consternation, fear, horror that we would have to go through. Work, sweat, trouble to preach one sermon. To come up with something that we thought was important enough to present to those to everyone here. But these men did that not as one small burst of energy for a week or two or ten or twenty, but for seven years. And I agree with Brother Charlie that... They did very well, and I did not have one single sermon that I went home thinking that was a waste of time, and I wish I had not been here. It's kind of a hard act to follow, but uh, I'd like to commend both you, Jim and Newell, for the pleasure we had just a few weeks ago to see 10 of our children and grandchildren baptized. And it was their, their uh, loyalty and the preaching that they gave us for seven years that made all that possible. And you should be very proud, and I'm sure the Lord is very proud of you. I personally want to commend and thank Newell and Jim for their preaching over the past seven years and for their diligence in holding this congregation together. But they were not just a benefit here. If you think of the group in Howell, of which I was a member for three years, I was up there and I heard preaching and saw preaching and received the Word of God weekly during that three years. And I'm thankful for that time that it wasn't listening to cassettes. It was a videotape, and we were blessed with the preaching of the Word during those, that, those days. That's right. The weekend that Brother Jonathan mentioned when he first came down here and met these two brothers was the, the first weekend that I had any association with them also. And uh, I had come from a background where pastors were ordained with, just because they had college degrees where they could get mail-in ordinations. Uh, they could just declare themselves a pastor and a teacher. And so that's kind of where I was coming from. But when I first started attending here, uh, 
I thought it kind of strange that the church didn't have a pastor. And Newell was up here at that time teaching, and I, I could not get enough of it. And one day I asked Brother Newell, I said, Newell, why don't you just become the pastor of this church? And in a very meek and humble answer, he said, I'm, I'm a novice. He said, I'm not ordained, and I cannot be the pastor of this church. And that same spirit that Brother Newell had, Brother Jim had, and I'm very thankful for that. Since then, I've learned what it means to be a pastor and what a man needs to go through to, to have that high office, the highest office that there is on this earth. I'm thankful for the way that these two men, that, that God gave them gifts. I'm thankful to God. Both of them are, are wonderful teachers. Um, there's a couple phrases in Scripture there's, that are mentioned twice, uh, one by Paul at the time that the people at Iconia thought that they were gods and it, Paul referred to them he said we are also men of like passions with you and then in James when he's speaking of Elias Elias after he's speaking of prayer he says Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are all of us know the passions that we had over the last seven years uh, we, we rode roller coasters we were up we were down uh, these two men had to have those same like passions as we, but every Sunday they were up here teaching us. And like Brother Jonathan said, we we never knew. If they if they covered it up well, if there was something, but their zeal was shown up here week after week. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, the, the Scripture does use a, a ship to compare some things to, and a ship's even been mentioned tonight some. And maybe these two men since they weren't ordained ministers, could not be the rudder of the ship all this time. They didn't have that authority. But they were the keel of the ship for these last seven years. They were the stabilizing force that kept the ship from capsizing and brought us through this, and I'm so thankful for that. In Proverbs 28, verse 2, it says, For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. These two men prolonged the state of this church, and I thank you both. There were many, many prayers answered during these days. The church grew. The church stayed together. Uh, Brother Jonathan mentioned that, that his prayer during all these years, one of his main prayers is that this church would stay together. God uses instruments to answer prayers, and that's the, the two men are the instrument that God used. And I, too, thank you for the many, many hours that you spent caring for us and that your family spent also giving you up. Amen. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm thankful to you two brethren for the faith that you guys had when everything was going against us, that you two had the faith to stand up and start what congregation we have now out of the congregation we had. I'm thankful for that example, and I only wish that I had the chance to follow in your footsteps, but I don't know that I'd have the strength to do it. But I am very thankful for the faith that you two showed in doing that, not knowing what was going to come of it, but knowing that the Lord wanted you to do it. agree with everything that's been said, especially what Michael said about putting up with me. You guys have said too many times that you're thankful for us putting up with you guys because you're not ordained ministers, but we're thankful that uh, you put up with us. I'm personally thankful that you guys were there for me when I needed you as a friend and a brother, and you were always there, and I always knew you were there, 
And I'm just thankful for that. You were faithful before the seven years began. You were faithful as a friend and a brother since day one, I remember. Um, Even my parents, although they're not with us, they talk about the two of you very often in very kind words. You have a reputation that everybody knows about. And I'm thankful to be a part of a church that has two men like you. Paul said, preach the word. That's a very unapologetical, non-compromising statement, and it's easier said than done, to say the least. But uh, you two have done that without compromise, unapologetically, like almost no other church in this world has done. And uh, I just want to thank you two for that. I think my dad already said a lot of the things that I was going to say. I'm personally appreciative for the series on the Sermon on the Mount, the theme of that, uh, that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall know wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Um, that was convicting to me at the time. I needed that, and I appreciated that delivery. Um, also, another one that sticks out was uh, the thoughts on marriage that uh, Brother Newell preached. Um, I learned a lot in that, and I appreciated that. Also, as uh, Brother Newell in particular knows, um, the series on the King James Version. I desperately needed that truth at the time. Um, it was very helpful to me in personal dealings that I had, and I'm thankful for that. I don't think I can add anything that's been said. I just want to stand up here and say again that I appreciate the time and sacrifice that you guys have done. And the thing that I'm more thankful for is I think that it's a good confirmation of the doctrine that we have. Yeah, I mean, the fruit that we have, and, yeah. and think about it. I'll say something else is that I've heard it out of this church, and I can't even tell you who said it. But one of the things that uh, is the best thing for children in a marriage is to look at the father, the relationship between the father and the wife, and do they have a good relationship? That's the best thing that you can give your kids. Well, just for the sacrifices that the families have made, the best thing that you can have is see a godly man following the Lord with all his heart and making the sacrifices. And the Lord tells us to do this. And these men did that and and had examples to show that, and I'm thankful for that. And so for the families and also for us as a congregation, I think about that and know I can relate just being in the same profession and knowing how your time is too, but knowing how the time can be taken up and yet still being faithful to the Word of the Lord that both these men have done. I know that's a great sacrifice. And I know the only way that you guys could do that, you have no strength that I know of. It's because the Lord gave you the strength. And again, it's a confirmation. And that's what I thank the Lord for. And I thank your personal efforts because it did take personal efforts and personal faith. And I'm thankful for that too. You can open those now. You can go ahead and pull it out and put it up here on the table. Stay up here. Eric, could you find the solid rock, Brother Jim? 
if somebody can look up the solid rock, my ho- it starts out with the words, my hope is built. We can also look up, it is well with my soul, which starts out with, when peace like a river. We need two numbers. We're going to have a right hand of fellowship. If you don't think they need a right hand of fellowship because they're already in fellowship with us, we're going to call it hugging them for the gospel's sake. You can call it whatever you want, but we're going to... We are going to show them our affection individually here, and we're going to sing a couple of songs. 691 and 521 in that order. Let's have a word. Let's all stand together and have a word of prayer. And then starting with my father here, and then the other side, and then that row, and then following row, let's make our way up here and just greet them to uh, conclude this part of our service. Father in heaven, in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, unto whom all power in heaven and earth has been given, who sits at thy right hand far above all principalities and powers, and every name that is named in this world and in the world to come. And all things are under his feet, and you've given him to be head over the church. We thank thee for these two faithful brothers, who for twenty years have served this assembly, and you have blessed their labors at home and here. We commend them in the name of our Savior. We thank thee for their labors. It has been much labor. It has been faithful labor. They have loved the truth. They have sought judgment. And they have made up the hedge and stood in the gap for this church. Heavenly Father, we pray your kindest, deepest blessings upon them. And that you would pour out upon them and their family a reward for their faithfulness to thee. Put a hedge about their families and deliver them from temptation and trouble in an unusual way. Manifest thyself to them and comfort their souls that you love them and we love them. Heavenly Father, I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For his honor and glory and as his servant. Amen. Amen.